text this morning. We're, we're uh, again in the, uh, in the lectionary, but we're going to just jump right in um, to uh, Psalm 119. So it will be up on the screen, or you can follow along in your pew Bible uh, as well. But this is a Psalm 119, which we read a little bit of last week, uh, but now we're continuing on. And we're starting in verse 33. All right. Teach me, Lord, the ways of your decrees, that I may follow it to the end. Give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Fulfill your promise to your servant so that you may be feared. Take away the disgrace I dread, for your laws are good. How, how I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, preserve my life. All right, so I love that. Uh, it's not our main text for this morning. It, it's our psalm in the lectionary this morning. But I love that passage. And I, I, it, it's a song, it's a poem, uh, where I, I hear a lot of longing in that poem. It's a poem of longing for God, of desiring his ways uh, des- desiring for his precepts, understanding what he wants. It's about a hunt for holiness. We're hunting for holiness. And if you're here this morning, I'm assuming that you have at least some of that desire within you. As you read those words, uh, whether you're at point A of the journey of faith or point Z, I'm assuming that if you're here this morning, there's something that at least twinges inside of you as you read that psalm, like, I kind of want that. I, I'm, kinda, I'm kind of in that same place. Uh, I, Lord, I, I want to understand. I want to know what you want for me. I want to know your desires. I want to understand your law. Uh, I want to understand your precepts. Right. It, we, we don't always know how to follow God, how to, how to live faithfully, uh, how to be holy, but I think most of us probably want that, at least on most days, right? Uh, we, want to, we long for faithful living. What are the Lord's commands? What are we to understand? How do we live out God's decrees? And so this morning, our Old Testament les- lectionary passage helps us to think through these kind of questions. It helps us to think uh, about holiness. How do we live holy, godly lives? So I just want to walk through this passage together. We're going to be in Leviticus 19. I just want to walk through this passage kind of verse by verse and see what it has to teach us about holiness, about living godly lives, the, the lives that God would desire for us. All right, so Leviticus 19. Uh, has a few thoughts about how to follow God. This is a really, uh, a really practical passage. This, this is a passage about social ethics and practical holiness because holiness is always practical. It's always social. Following God faithfully and seeking after his desires, I think always have uh, really practical public implications. If we want to follow God, uh, I, I think there's... It's always going to be lived, public, observable. We, we follow a living God, so the way that we live out God's holiness ought to be lived. It ought to be observable, noticeable to all those around us. And so this is a passage that's really social in nature. In nature. It's really public in nature. So Leviticus 19, 
uh, starting with verses 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. So that's kind of where we're heading, right? God is saying to Moses, Tell your people to be holy. I want them to be holy because I'm a holy God. So that, that kind of sets the table for this passage. Now the next few verses uh, are good, but the lectionary skips ahead to verse 9, which I think is, is wise. And so we're skipping forward to verse 9. Uh, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. All right, so we're going to come back to those verses in a few minutes. I think they're so good. I think they're so important that I want to save them. So we're going to come back to those in a couple minutes. So, so picking up then with verse 11. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. Uh, this one feels kind of basic, right? Uh, the, the words of wisdom feel kind of basic. Don't steal, don't lie, don't, don't deceive one another, don't swear falsely by God's name, which you would think would be a lot easier than it actually is. Right? The, the command is simple. Maybe, Carl, you could leave it on there for a minute, 11 and 12 there. Uh, the command is simple. But uh, to live it out is, is anything but. Uh, you would think telling the truth, swearing truly by God's name, would be really easy to do. And yet in a world of fake news and twisted truth, this command feels so relevant. Uh, it's hard. How do we sift through what's real and what's not? How do we sift through who's telling us the truth and who's not? It's really, really challenging, right? We live in a world where lying doesn't seem to, to be a grievous offense. And people on all sides of the spectrums uh, do it with, with ease. And, and yet, so how do, we, how do we sift through? How do we be called to people who tell the truth in a world where truth doesn't seem to be so important? In a world where God can be contorted and used to justify any and every agenda, this command to use his name well and not swear falsely feels really, really important. We can make God say whatever we want him to say. We can make God have whatever agenda we want to. And we can probably cherry pick a few verses out of the Bible to make that happen. Uh, but, but we can twist and contort God and theology and faith into saying almost whatever we want. And many people do. Uh, so this call to actually uh, speak truthfully of God, use God's name, use God's law uh, well, steward that well, feels really, really important for us. Uh, The writer continues, verse 13, Do not defraud your neighbors or rob them. Where am I at here? Uh, Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Essentially, he's saying, don't rip people off. Don't rip people off. And and I think that temptation is always there. Uh, No matter how morally pure and upright we are, I think that temptation is always there. There will always be opportunities to take things that aren't ours. There will always be the opportunity to take advantage of people when we shouldn't. That temptation is always there. And how, 
how can we essentially not rip people off? I, I remember uh, all throughout seminary in Seattle, I worked at a rock climbing gym called Stone Gardens. And, uh, and uh, we had a lost and found at Stone Gardens. And, man, people would leave the craziest stuff in the lost and found. They'd walk out without their $300 puffy jackets and never come back to get them. These, these, we'd have arcteryx jackets and outdoor research, research jackets, all this stuff, harnesses and shoes, hundreds. There were thousands of dollars worth of gear in the, in the lost and found at any given moment that people almost never came back for. And we had this kind of general rule of thumb as employees that things had to be in there for a few months before it was kind of fair game or they'd be taken to Goodwill or Salvation Army or something like that. Uh, but, but we had to wait a few months before, before we could kind of say, hey, I, I got dibs on that coat that's in there. And uh, there, the temptation was real, my friends. When I would see some, I would take a coat up to Lost and Found, and I think, you know, if I walked out of that in a couple weeks here, uh, nobody would ever know. I'm the only one who ever knew that it was left in here. The temptation... I mean, these are amazing pieces, of articles of clothing or, or harnesses or shoes or whatever it was, gear, rock climbing gear, and the temptation was always there. Uh, and, and yet, you wait, and you wait until it's fairness, because we're called as people. If we want to be holy, if we want to live godly lives, we're called to not rip people off. And the temptation, it's easy. It's very easy to do that. It's very easy to take advantage of people, because uh, people generally want to be pretty giving, and uh, you can find those kind of people and take advantage of them in, in ungodly, unholy ways. And, and so our passage this morning invites us to not do that. Holiness is deeply relational. It's not just personal piety. It's not just what we do uh, in our quiet times in the morning. Holiness, to be people of God, is deeply relational. So if we want to, if we want to live the life that God desires for us, that way of life carries the social responsibility of doing the best for others, including not ripping them off. Okay, verse 14. Uh, Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God, I am the Lord. Uh, now there's certainly a literal reading to that verse, right? There's plenty of literal deaf and blind people that we should be honoring and respecting and taking care of. But there's also a metaphorical, a figurative reading there too, right? There are people in our world that, uh, that, that uh, need some help, that are vulnerable and struggling in our world. And, and so we're called to not put a stumbling block in front of them. We're called to help them. Uh, who's not doing so well in your circle? Who's got an uphill battle ahead of them? Who just can't catch a break? And the world seems to be out to get them. And are there ways for you to ease their burden and lighten their load? Who could use a little help? Who, who has a, a few problems? Who's vulnerable and struggling? And how can we be of assistance there? Verse 15. Do not pervert justice, do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. So, so far we're kind of talking about the down and out, the the oppressed, the vulnerable of our society, and we should be helping those kind of people. Uh, but, But this is a reminder that God's justice and grace is for all. We're called to treat everyone the same, to work for justice for all. 
Uh, we know that God definitely champions the cause of the poor and the marginalized, but he most certainly cares for everyone. Right? His justice is for everyone, for all of his creation. So, so this is a reminder uh, for us to just stop worrying about all that divides us. Stop, stop judging in any way. It, it reminds us to love all equally and to treat all equally. For God causes rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous, the just and the unjust, which is actually our gospel reading for today. I didn't even know that until later, uh, but that's our gospel reading, and it's a, it's a great reminder. If God shows no partiality, how dare we? Verse 16. Uh, do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Uh, don't harm others in word or deed. Uh, I think our world could use just a little more kindness and goodness. We are sorely lacking that in our world. It, it could use less slander gossip, hurting, and harm. And so what if the church, what if the people of God were the ones that were leading that movement, that movement toward kindness and goodness? What, what if that's what we were known for? Instead of hypocrisy and judgmentalism and, and hate, which is some of what we're known for, what if our calling card, the thing that we hung our hat on, the thing that people in the community knew about us was that, oh yeah, those are the people of kindness compassion, and love. Oh, you're a Christian? Oh, I, I know a bunch of Christians, and they're all really, really kind, and they're always helping people. They're always doing what's best for people. They would never harm people because they're people of love. What, what if that were what we hung our hat on? Verse 17. Uh, do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in their guilt. We're going to fight. We're going to disagree. Uh, the question is, will we do it well? Will we disagree and fight and be in dialogue and disagreement and argument? Will we do it well in a spirit of love and dignity and respect? We're called to do away with hate and be committed to peace. We can disagree. It is okay for us to, to disagree. And if we put all of us at, at one table, there would be a million disagreements. And yet I've known us as a church to disagree well. What if we were witnesses to that in the community as well? Uh, we can disagree. We can call one another out on our junk. But can we be committed to, to still being neighbors and kin, family, as we're doing it? We can be people who hold one another accountable. It's okay to do that. It's biblical to do that. But there's good ways of doing that. And there's bad. There's, there's good ways of disagreeing, of holding people accountable, of calling people out on their sin. And then there's, there's harmful ways of doing that. So can we rebuke one another, not out of some sort of civic responsibility, like I have to do this, it's my job, and I have to protect the, the rights of this church, I have to fight for justice, not out of some sort of corrupt civic responsibility, uh, or out of some sort of personal interest where uh, I, I'm... I'll look better if those people look worse. But, but can we do so? Can we hold one another accountable out of primarily a concern for that person and for the whole community? 
Can we do that well? Can we disagree well? Can we hold one another accountable well? And then the, the first half of our, our last verse this morning. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. Don't, don't seek revenge. Don't hold a grudge, which is really, really hard to do. We hold on to stuff. As a culture, we hold on to baggage for years, refusing to let things go. We let them fester. They, become, they build up. And often they blow up. This kind of this baggage uh, that we're holding on to, it eventually unleashes. And it blows up in ugly, nasty, unbecoming, unholy ways. But to be holy, to live godly lives, to, get, to live the kind of life that God wants for us, is to let go of that stuff. To, to not let that stuff fester any longer. And it doesn't always happen immediately. I'm not asking us to get rid of that immediately. But let's be on the process of letting go of the baggage, the the grudges that we hold, that that fester and build up to a point where they explode. Okay, at this point I want to move back uh, to verse 9 and 10. Because I think this is so good. If we want to live holy lives, I, I think this is a great metaphor, a great way of thinking about how to live holy, godly lives. Verse 9 When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. All right, so this is a practice of gleaning, right? Many of us probably know what gleaning is. Some maybe don't. Uh, it, it's, uh, it still exists in certain parts of the world, but kind of unfamiliar to us. But essentially, uh, far- landowners would have harvested uh, their crops, uh, but you do it kind of quickly, and it leaves some to spare. Right? It leaves the edges. You don't quite get every last bit uh, of your crop uh, uh, harvested, the, tilled the first time that you go through it. Uh, so, so the call, this Old Testament calling, uh, would have been that, that don't pick that up. Don't go back a second time and pick that up. Leave that. And then those in the community that don't have land, that don't have enough, uh, that, that need a little help, they could go back and pick that up and they could use it to take care of their families. It's this beautiful justice practice called gleaning. Uh, it's it's this, um, this amazing practice. And so uh, the writer here is reminding us uh, to not do that to our field. Don't pick up all the scraps Leave that to help out other people. It's a way of living a godly life. Uh, it's, it's what God would do. Now, uh, now, this for them was a real, literal practice. right? They, they, it's more of a subsistence kind of way of life. More of them would have been agriculturally based. Uh, and gleaning would have been a real thing that they would have done. Now, for most of us, uh, leaving our crops for others to get isn't a reality. It isn't a possibility for us, right? I don't have a little piece of property that I could leave for somebody else. So for me, I need to kind of read this as a metaphor. I need to think about this figuratively. And I think this passage still holds a ton of power and potential for us as we read it figuratively. Even if not many of us are farmers and have fields to leave unharvested. I think this is a message uh, about generosity versus stinginess. Uh, it's a message about wealth 
versus poverty. It's a message about how we treat one another. Uh, it's a message about how will we use the things that we have. Uh, again, it, it's generosity versus stinginess. Uh, one commentator, Walter Kaiser, said, uh, Holiness must manifest itself in regard for poor people, but grasping, covetous, and stingy personalities are not holy persons. The kind of person that grasps, that, that wouldn't leave a little extra for somebody else, that's not holiness. That's not godliness. Essentially, this is a metaphor about how we will steward God's abundance in our life. He gives to us abundantly. How will we use that well? He gives generously to everyone, to all the world. But I think for most of us in, in this room today, he's given pretty generously to us. We have plenty. So what will we do with God's generosity? Will we tighten our purse strings? Will we keep score of who has what and who works where and, and who makes what and who works hard? Will we judge people's worthiness? Will we be generous or stingy? Will we remember that all of life is a gift? Or will we think that we've rightfully earned everything that we have and will hold on to it with clenched fists? Generosity is holiness. Wise stewardship of God's abundant blessing is holiness. So the question for us then is, uh, what does gleaning look like in a grocery store world? Uh, we live in a world where we don't generally go out to the field. Most of us don't even go out to the garden to get what we need. We go to the grocery store. Right, so what does gleaning look like for us in, in a world where literal gleaning isn't an option uh, in a grocery store world? How do we embody the original goal of gleaning in a non-agricultural context, in, in a 2017 urban culture? Uh, so a few questions, a few thoughts for us. Uh, I think a passage like this invites us to think about uh, in what ways... Do we have more than we need? Most of us probably do. Most of us could probably go through our closets and clean out half of it and still be just fine. Most of us could probably go to our fridge and freezer and take out a good portion of it and we would do just fine. Most of us have enough. Uh, in what ways do we have more than we need? More stuff than we need? More time than we need? More money than we need? more skills than what we're using to bless others? How do we have more than we need? And then could we bless others from that abundant blessing that God has provided? And there's a million ways that we could do that, that we could take out of our abundance, take out, out of the more than we need and give to others. There's a million creative ways that we could do that. Maybe it's paying for someone's meal, uh, Maybe it's keeping a wad of $1 bills in our glove compartment to pass out to those that we pass on the street uh, th that are asking for help. Maybe it's volunteering at a nonprofit or, or engaging in our church more. Maybe it's mentoring a kid, uh, whether it's formally through some sort of program or, or informally 
through kids that we know, maybe even kids at our church. Maybe it's some sort of skill or passion that you have in abundance that you could allow some of that blessing to be offered up in support of others. We all have plenty. How will we use what we have been gifted? This gleaning metaphor, uh, the, the beauty of it is that it doesn't really ask us to do that much. It's not, at, it's not like Jesus asking us to sell half of our possessions and give it to the poor. The gleaning metaphor really is to take the scraps, take just a little bit of the blessing and, and find a way to be a blessing. Right? It's not asking us to change each and every aspect of who we are. It isn't really meant to be that daunting of a task. What I'm asking you to do, I'm not asking you to go overboard. I'm not asking you to do something crazy this morning. There probably have been a few times that I have done that. But this really isn't one of those cases. This metaphor really is meant to invite us into doing uh, simple little acts of kindness uh, in order to be a blessing around us. Uh, To take a a little bit of your abundance and, and to find a way to be a blessing. To find a way to give that away. To find a way to serve uh, What are some little things that you go about your daily tasks where you could be a blessing in people's lives, where you could love other people? Which naturally leads us back into the very end of our Leviticus passage. So I skipped the second half of verse 18, which is the most important part of the whole passage, uh, and and, uh, it's what... It's what we're supposed to get to this morning. It's the perfect summary of this entire passage. And according to Jesus, it's the perfect summary of the entire law. This is what he says, right? This is is the summary of everything. But love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Which is essentially what we've been talking about, right? This is the summary uh, of holiness. You want to be holy? You want to live godly lives? Love your neighbor as yourself. You, you want to know God's desires for the world? You want, to, you want to understand his law? You want to know what he wants for you? Love your neighbor as yourself. It's very, it's very simple to understand and very, very difficult to live out. The road to holiness, to godliness, is narrow and daunting. And it requires that we love our neighbor. Uh, So this is where it gets a little harder, right? A few simple acts of kindness. All right, I can do that. Paying for someone's meal, I can do that. But loving loving our neighbor gets really personal now. Okay, now it's on. And it's not so easy. It's kind of daunting. Not many people travel this road well. This road to holiness. And certainly not with a whole lot of consistency. This is the narrow road. Yet if you want to follow God... If you want to know his law and keep his precepts and honor his desires, it really comes down to loving our neighbors. The road to holiness travels through our neighbor's yard. The road to holiness travels through our neighbor's yard. It always does. We've got to walk through their gate. We've got to approach their door. The road to holiness travels through our neighbor's yard. Uh, or to say the same thing differently. If you want to know how to live godly, holy lives in accordance with the desires and laws of God, look and listen to Jesus. He will guide us. He's taught us to love our neighbor. He's shown us how to do it. Let's follow him faithfully into holiness, uh, 
into this new way of service, sacrifice, and love. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for these beautiful words, these challenging words. But we sense this longing. We sense the longing within us that we want to do better. We want to live well. We want to know what you want. We want to follow your ways. We want to keep your desires. So please help us to do so. And we thank you for these words this morning, essentially summing up with loving our neighbors. Help us to do that well. Show us who our, who our neighbors are. Uh, illuminate them to us in a way that we can't ignore. And, and then give us the courage to step out in faith to be a blessing of love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, a couple of announcements.